listening to Podcasting Paradigms with David Truss and Zoe Brannigan-Pipe, and we're talking about experiential learning. I'm sitting with Zoe Brannigan-Pipe at ZBPipe on Twitter, and it's fantastic to be connecting with her again after meeting her, I think, originally in Calgary at a conference right after you were in Israel and had an amazing experience there. And then uh, the Unplugged conference, which was just a, an amazing experience for everybody. Um, so great to be sitting here with you now. Hey, David. So I have a few questions for you. And the, the first one's what what's something that we need to talk about and spend time talking about? Um, I, I think uh, a big topic of um, today right now in education is just experiential learning learning through our um, hands-on doing making experiencing and do you have an example of that that you want to share um, I think I mean I, I've, I've been trying to delve into the area of maker spaces for a while and I don't think I really fully grasped the concept of experiential learning until I've um, felt it a little bit myself um, this past summer when uh, I was standing on a dock, you know, in northern Ontario, watching about 20 canoes come in of, um, you know, astute kids from ages 9 to 18 after a 21-day canoe trip. And listening, after they'd come in, and my son was one of them, and listening to their stories about um, what it meant to be fully in, in, engrossed in something that they were direct, they were self-directed in, they were having to problem solve, they were able to having to work together. And, you know, and, and the more I listened to their stories about um, adversity and about um, you know, make, finding their own way and about you know, having, to, uh, having to work together in collaboration, the more, the more I realized that those are the very skills that I wanted to bring into the classroom. And, um, and I think that whole idea of authentic learning and that you have to bring real problems and real experiences, those are what, um, for me, that is a big topic now. And I think we can bring that into the makerspace um, construction of environment. So. And it's it's a bit hard to uh, duplicate a you know a 21 day experience uh, <laughs> in, yeah. in our schools, but at the same time, how, how do you see the makerspace as sort of uh, a catalyst for creating those kind of experiences? Well, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you know, kids and adults right now are really uh, interested in, in programming and coding, and we're making all these connections in our curriculum and how they can, you know, help kids. Um, you know, be prepared for the future and, and know, have, have understanding of these skills. But I think it's, it's deeper than that. I think it's actually a mindset, a maker mindset, and that they have to want to make and, and want to program and, and want to do these things for a, a reason. And, and I think that's where I, I sit now. It's, it's I want to inspire that reason to be um, one of social justice, one that's going to make our world better. I don't necessarily want that reason to constantly be we're preparing them for the workforce. We're preparing them to be entrepreneurs um, in capitalist society. I want, I want the reason for making to be one that's going to help um, achieve some of the Millennium Goals and help the uh, help our society um, combat poverty and um, and bring equity into um, the lives of, of all all of our, all of our citizens. So that that is how we can bring that into the makerspace environment. And it's interesting because you talked about uh, both 
coding and programming. And I think people often equate that to technical skills. And they miss the point that what you're really talking about is teaching kids computational thinking, which is something that really is preparing them for the future, even if they're not planning on uh, doing coding or doing programming as mm -hmm. sort of a career with, as a skill. And so that's the piece that I think, um, as far as that experience goes, if it's an authentic reason that they have to use their computa computational thinking skills, I think that makes it yeah. really exciting. And, and, and the more we um, talk about computational thinking, which is nothing new in education, we've been doing that for a long time, but we're starting to learn that making um, allows us to do that in, in a variety of ways, not just through programming. I mean, if you know, if you've ever seen a knitting pattern or um, learn how to follow a um, you know a complicated uh, sewing uh, pattern, or looking at um, arts, uh, music. I mean, there's all sorts of, of ways that we can teach kids computational thinking. Um, so if, if our focus is on computational thinking and problem solving and, and diving into those real experiences, it, it can be done in a multitude of ways, including coding, including programming, including arts, including hands-on activities. And really, we're going to actually bring uh, um, people that sometimes technology can alienate are coming back into um, education with a renewed sense of meaning and purpose because they can have hands-on um, you think of the woodworkers and the artists and think of people that uh, you know like want it that are, are, are using hands all the time so I'm, I'm pretty happy that our system is going this way. Is there a specific project that you've been really excited about? Well, I mean, I, this past year, I am, or last year, I, my, my colleagues, Christy Luker and uh, Tammy Fox, uh, she's a consultant, and, um, and then, uh, because we had received an award from the Canadian Education Association, my colleagues and I were able to um, create another makerspace. And so we had already had one that was sort of thrown together with, you know, a variety of tools and a variety of this and that. Whereas the new makerspace we were able to create was very specific to pedagogy that related nice. to Emilia Reggio and, and sort of looking at European approaches like Montessori, like, um, like who else? Um, Papert, another one that we um, really, really tried to bring in also the First Nations, Métis and Inuit perspective into the room. And so to be able to have, be very articulate and explicit mm -hmm in um, how we wanted that space to be created um, and to have a space that's just beautiful and authentic and people want to be there. It, it was it's an awesome project. That's fantastic. Yeah, the, the award you won, the Canadian Education Association's Ken Spencer Award, the Inquiry Hub yeah, won it in I know. 2014, you guys, 15. You, you were the ones that I think you, after seeing what you had done, really inspired yeah. me to say, you know, like maybe we should look at trying to That's go awesome. that route as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and then you were the 14, the 15, 16. Yeah, winners, right? yeah. That's awesome. I have, a, I have a, go a different direction here. What, what's an aha moment that you've had of a, as a teacher that you'll never forget? Well, if we're just sticking on the same theme as, as experiential learning, I mean, there's a few. I mean, just, you know, but it always, for some reason, always comes back to my, it was my second or third year teaching. Um, this is before Twitter, before Facebook, before Google Docs and all of that. Um, I was, uh, I, I did a couple of plays of drama and arts have always been, you know, a passion of mine. And, um, and I just remember, you know, for me, it was such an aha moment of the kids that were sort of those, those struggling students being involved in um, a group 
collaboration to put this play on. It was only a K to five school, but the grade, um, but every grade, every kid, every teacher was so involved in, in getting this play put on. It ended. It was Lion Witch in the Wardrobe that I can remember opening night just being so completely emotional at the thought of uh, the meaning that those that, that this had to those kids. And years later, I was shopping, and and one of the students were um, were the cashier <laughs> year you know they yes. had they were had a part-time job and they stopped me I didn't even recognize them they were adults I'd only known them as a kid and they said you know I, I in all my team all my years through the rest of schooling middle school and high school and university you know and here I am now at a cashier and I see you and all I can remember is how thankful I am to have ever been part of, of a drama, you know, just in my awesome. little grade four year. And, and I guess it just really reminded me the experiential learning can stick in our brains. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. That's neat. What's something that you think uh, we need, need to stop happening in education? Uh, worksheets. <laughs> That's it. Please stop worksheets. That's, I don't have anything else to say yeah. about that. Uh, yeah. I, I, well, well, we can leave that one right where it is. All right. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say something, but I actually I'll just shut up and, yeah, and yeah. let let that stand. I, that was own. an easy one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what about something we're getting right? Um, I think that um, least here or in Ontario where I am and in BC where I am right now, um, I think we're starting to look at our curriculum differently. Mm-hmm. I think we're starting to focus less on specific expectations and standard standards, and starting to look at um, the curriculum in a more holistic way, which mm-hmm. is encouraging teachers to think of inquiry um, and project-based and problem-based learning and, and it gives them a little more permission to be flexible. Yes. So I think we're getting that right. I also think that we're um, starting to be a little bit more respectful and understanding that many of the, the strategies and the um, tools and the pedagogies we're using aren't, aren't necessarily completely new, that we're, we're borrowing um, some of the very philosophies from our First Nations, Métis and Inuit, um, in terms of, of mentorship and, um, and teamwork and, you know, looking at um, our connection to nature and to authentic learning and to maker. I mean, a lot of those very principles um, are, are ones that um, we're all embracing and, and sort of through truth and reconciliation, bringing them into our classrooms. So getting that right. Yeah, I, I, I thing I really like about the BC curriculum is that move away from content and to competencies. And mm-hmm. I think that, that that focus right there just opens up that opportunity for, for teachers to see yeah. um, where they have flexibility. Mm-hmm. You know, So when I don't have to worry about the actual content, but then what is the skill, what is the understanding, what is a conceptual idea right. that I want you know, them to be able to explain, I think that becomes the exciting part. So. That's, that's something that I think um, we have a lot of potential to, to move things really quickly. What's a hack that you use to make something you regularly do easier? Well, I mean, every, every day when I'm teaching my students, um, you know, just this is just to open up a document um, and make and share the document um, publicly. Um, it, I, I usually just share it um, that only who, any, only those who have the link can access it, not necessarily searchable on Google. Mm-hmm. But whether or not it's OneNote or Google Docs, I, um, it's a great way where you know kids don't necessarily struggle with remembering their username and passwords. We all know as much as our systems are getting that right too, yeah. the kids I don't always remember. So 
it's, it's just a quick hack to say, here's the document you need, um, it's shareable, and we tend to start the day and end the day with a, um, every kid has in charge of one or two slides and a presentation to sort of be nice. accountable. It's like their exit, their assessment piece. So just something that, you know, it's easy, but, uh, you know, for some people, they'll think, you know, wow, like, that's great. Just open the link up and give it to the kids and bang, you've got some assessment data. Nice. What's... Um What's a message you'd like to share with the world? Well, I think I would share the world that, um, and to you and to the, my colleagues, if anyone is actually listening to this, that, um, that anything can happen at any time. We need to embrace life and be joyful and, and not stress over the little things and that we're going to get things wrong. And, um, and we need to kind of shrug it off and move on and wake up the next day. And I'm reading a, a book um, called the, you know, the Art of Joy and mm-hmm. uh, right now. And it, um, it really is inspiring me to remind me that you know, every day is like a birthday and that we have to const- just be kind and courteous to everyone around you and um, sort of embrace life, as cliche as that might sound. And when you do that, it makes your job as a teacher um, so much more joyful. Mm-hmm. I think uh, with with things changing so much too, the permission to let yourself make mistakes and to do yeah. that publicly and be okay with it is, uh, yeah. is another piece that fits really well with that. Um, what's an area that you sit with uncertainty? Everything. <laughs> I'm uncertain about everything. I'm uncertain the fact that I it, it really is. I couldn't. I can't really think of one area, but I'm never certain. And I'm always doubting and, you know, because I think things are changing and, and also it's that you can't be certain about anything because every, it depends on, on perspective and it depends on where you live in the world and it depends on, you know, what your background is and it depends on who's using it and how you're using it. And so you can never be certain that what you think is, 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 is that. I suppose if there's anything that I'm, you asked me what I'm, I'm uncertain about, uncertain yeah, I would just say it's everything. Um, there you go. <laughs> I remember uh, I wrote a blog post where I, I, I said, question everything. Mm-hmm. And I took the low-hanging fruit about ideas around homework and different kinds of things like that. But, yeah. uh, but it sticks with me. that you yeah. know, Why are we doing what we, what we do and just being uncertain? Uh, and then the idea that best practice is just practice. Yeah. And yeah. so you might be doing something really well, but it's still just practice, and there are probably better ways you can do it. And if you yeah. question yourself, you can, you can find that pretty quickly sometime. Uh, what's your magic? Um, I think, I mean, my magic changes all the time, I, I would say, in that, you know, like, what are, what's the thing? But I think it's that I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. Um, probably some, I, I, I hope that you know the fact that I can be happy and I don't let a lot of things get me down um, I don't see uh, it, I know that there's so many hardships happening in the world right now um, I know that politics are getting people down and worrying people but I still think that I suppose if you were to say what what's my magic it's just being able to still look at the bright side and to uh, and to embrace life and you know I think I have a good feel for that so I I was thinking about the idea of we started with experiential learning and so sort of as a closer to, to think about, here, here's a question for you. What's an experience you've had as a learner that was just really powerful? Um, I would definitely say, um, I mean, Unplugged, you were there yes. with me. 
yeah. um, working with some incredibly intelligent and um, change-changing folks that that you know are push, pushing education. This was about you know four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, that was very deep for me um, to be in that environment and to be with those people and to be respected as an equal in terms of what my abilities and education and what I could give. I think that was very. Um, very meaningful for me as a learner to be there. Um, and, and to give some context to that, yeah. think of think of some very geeky online educators that know yeah. each other mostly online and haven't really connected much. Put them on a bus and take them yeah. to the southern tip of Algon of the Algonquins in Ontario, where there's no cell reception and no Wi-Fi. Yeah, and then let them unleash on. Uh, co-writing uh, a book with each person getting chapters where they choose their own topic and yeah. sharing the editing experience and then just the experience of being out in the wild and completely oh, unplugged. It was, yeah, it was a learning experience for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, one, of the, one of the really powerful moments at that conference for me was um, one of your students because mm -hmm. you had two student teachers that, that you suggested coming and I can't remember his name mm -hmm. but we were kind of doing a circle at the end and saying goodbye and he, he broke into tears and he talked about how when he arrived at Unplugged he felt like he was so out of place because what does he have to offer as a brand new teacher when not with all these mm -hmm. experienced teachers but then just feeling so welcome and feeling like part of the community that it yeah. was just absolutely overwhelming. And, uh, you know, he, he broke into tears, but I don't think there was a dry eye in the room no. when that happened. It and, was very powerful. Yeah. yeah. And, and that speaks to that idea of kind of having those, not necessarily rituals, but those powerful experiences where you come together to achieve something with a common goal. And we can do that in our classrooms. It doesn't have to be something that we do uh, you know, right. just on these retreats. Right, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and so um, I, I just think that it's really neat to look at the way you're looking at uh, maker spaces. But uh, as a final sort of little piece here, can you talk a little bit about um, learning spaces and, and sort of your ideas around that? Uh, well, I... Um, I as I said at the beginning, I had an opportunity to create another space and be very explicit about it. And, you know, when I um, approached the team, and as a team, we sat and brainstormed, okay, what, what, what are places in our lives that we um, learn best, that we talk about the most, you know, with other people, that we collaborate, that, you, yeah. you know, you get those aha moments that you leave and you think, okay, I want to, you know, and you feel inspired. And, you know, very few people mentioned the classroom. Very few people mm -hmm. mentioned sitting at the desk. They mentioned things like in a con sitting in a canoe, um, going on runs with their um, running partners. They mentioned um, in the coffee shop when, you know, you meet, you meet someone and go sit in, a, you know, wherever the coffee shop is and you got that intense meeting with someone. Mm -hmm. They mentioned... Um, sitting on the bench at a park, um, you know, sitting at the bar and, you know, collaborating with friends they haven't seen in a while. And, and over and over, those were the same themes. And so we, so we said, all right, well, that, that's it. Let's just make a classroom that encompasses the nature, that encompasses um, the coffee shop and a bar. And, and, I, and I suppose it, it's, it's, you really just want to make that learning space somewhere that people inspire people to talk and to share and to collaborate and to feel safe. 
and and then bring being able to take that learning outside into the real world into their community into the market to the library to you know their city and and start really understanding that that's where real true learning spaces are it's not in the classroom but it can start there it can start there yeah it can start there and it can end there. So, yeah, Zoe, thank, thank you. you so much. All right, thanks, yeah, David. All right. There you go. We're shaking hands. Yes, okay. <laughs> Hopefully, you all listened. All right.